0: At what
1: point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the
0: male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast for May 4th, 2021. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Today, joined again by Josh Blank, research director for the SAMES Texas Politics Project. We should note, I don't want to violate FERPA, you can For, go ahead. Not FERPA, HIPAA. HIPAA. You can- <laughs> you're not a student. You're a patient. Uh, Josh was just saying he's a little fatigued having gotten his second shot. So congratulations. And if Josh just kind of nods off, you'll know what happened. Maybe. Maybe. Have you? <laughs> maybe. It
1: depends on if they've listened to the podcast before.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you know, be that as it may, today we want to talk about the results from the April twenty one. Uh, UT Texas Tribune poll that's been released over the last few days. We did the last podcast on the COVID results, uh, which were one of the multiple things that we we pulled on this time. We'll be mining this and going back to the well for a while, probably. Uh, But for today, we want to look at the multiple ways um, in which the poll tells us some things about the public opinion context of the legislative session currently entering its final weeks here in Texas. Now on the off chance that you're listening to this and not from Texas or of this subculture, maybe you've been driven to this by the Eliana Plotz story in the New York Times, which is a real barn burner. Uh, Texas has a biennial legislature that meets for only 140 days every other year, hence the term biennial. and we are at a kind of, we're getting close to, we're not quite at crunch time, but there are 27 days left at this recording till the legislature adjourns sine die on, on May 31st. We haven't started hitting the big legislative deadlines yet, but we will soon. So suffice to say that, that tensions are beginning to mount here. I was watching the legislature or the House right before we came on, and there were some relatively heated exchanges going on over health benefits, So, we want to start the discussion. uh, So, I want to start the discussion in which we do a deep dive into public attitudes on issues before the legislature by starting with a result from the poll that sets it up on an ironic or at least a kind of qualifying tone. So, one of the the items that we asked fairly early on in the poll for methodological reasons uh, was. You know, whether we asked uh, our, our sample of self-declared registered voters, how closely they were paying attention to the legislature that was now in session. Um, only 10 percent said extremely closely. Uh, about half said not very closely at 33 percent and 17 percent said not at all. Um, and, and I kind of think that we even have to take with a grain of salt the, the remainder that said they were watching somewhat closely.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty easy question to lie on, you know, and yeah. I like,
0: you know, I like to say, like, this yeah, is There's not much conscience here.
1: Yeah. And like, and, you know, it says, you know, pe- you know, I mean, sometimes I there's a period in my life as a pollster where I might have been uncomfortable saying that, but it doesn't mean that these aren't broadly true. Ultimately, what this tells us, I think, is right. Right. Not a ton of people are paying attention to the legislative session, because really, I mean, unless you're people like us who sit here and put on the live stream during the day, you know, and it's and it, you can actually say it's part of your job, which you know maybe you can if you're listening to this but for most you know normal people outside the process it's totally opaque it's very confusing but what's also true is the fact that you know people are probably likely to like overstate their attention yeah just because you know we're you're in a, you're in a political survey you're telling us all your attitudes about the president the governor what have you, you say hey are you paying a lot of attention to the legislature nope yeah a lot of people don't want to do that so yeah, but that, anyway yeah somewhat yeah sure somewhat <laughs> And um, it is go it did go up. I mean, just to say, I mean, you know, it, it is working in the right, you know, in the right way. And that we asked it also in uh, March
0: or oh, in February. No, I think in March. I actually, think it was March. Yeah, it was March. It was probably, it must've been March. Yeah.
1: No, it was March and April. And in March. We're doing so
0: many polls now. I can't, I can't keep
1: in the first quarter, what? it was one of those polls. Uh, you know, in March 44% said they were following the session either extremely or somewhat closely. It's up six points since then. I think, you know, that makes sense. There's more going on, more things to grab people's attention. But again, it's, it's a small share of the electorate who even says they're paying really
0: close attention. So, with that as a, as, a, as a backdrop, <laughs> you know, we asked, uh, you know, we th- we then proceeded to ask people a lot of questions <laughs> related <laughs> to legislative policy. Um, I really know how to set this up well. Um, mm-hmm. So, Judge, why don't, you, why don't you talk a little bit, just a, you know, broadly about how we structured this so that people have a sense of like what we did?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, essentially, you know, the poll structure kind of follows a rather similar pattern broadly and then you know some other patterns in you know a little bit deeper. So I mean the broad pattern is we ask you know about 15 what we call trend questions every time. We always want to know what people think the most important issues are facing the state and the country, their evaluations of the president and the governor and the lieutenant governor. More recently we've also included in every poll evaluations of the presidents and the governors handling of covid because that's been so central to the last year um you know we ask about the direction of texas and you know their personal economic situation things like that and that just gives us something that we can look at at every poll and see what the trends are because we we think of these as fundamental attitudes you know if you take what we just said about the fact that people aren't following the legislative session that closely that's true what's also true is people do know what they think of the president they do usually have a pretty good sense of what they think of the governor and they certainly know what they think about their current economic situation and the economy you know nationally and in texas And, and we also that that drives a lot of politics. So ultimately, you know, I always thought it was funny after the you know after the 2020 election, and we're still talking about you know the accuracy of the election, blah, blah, blah. But you know, you see these comments from you know some of Trump's supporters who would say, you know, how could Joe Biden have won this election? It's say, hey, you know, you got hundreds of thousands of people dead from COVID, you've got an economy in the tank. How could any president of any party under that scenario win an election? Not
0: lose, <laughs> yes.
1: You know, and that's just 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 to set that aside. So that's why we always ask about that. Then you know. This is an interesting poll for us because we've increased the number of polls we're doing so we're we're actually normally we had traditionally asked in our surveys at the beginning of the session in February and then usually around the end in June. This mid-session poll sort of requires us to think a little bit more about what we want to do in the middle. And, all, and what that kind of forces us is where if you looked at, if you look at our polls closely, you know, the first poll in February was very much about broad attitudes towards, you know, spending levels, priorities, here, we're digging in a little bit deeper now, and we're kind of still want to figure out what the priorities are. So after we asked people about their attention, we asked them in an open-ended question, you know, what should the legislature be focusing on? And that's the entry point. Right. Uh, you know, without putting any issues before anybody, without priming anybody to think about anything, you know, what should they be doing? Then we asked a lot of questions about COVID, which we discussed last week. And then we really had to dig into legislative proposals. And this is hard. I mean, honestly, because... You know, the difference between the politics of policy and the actual policy itself, you know, and the way that you map those things onto assessing public opinion is not obvious all the time. Uh, And so, you know, what you find is, is that, you know, we essentially did was we dug into some of the policy proposals floating around in a number of areas. And so the questions are actually pretty specific, but I still think in total, you can actually pull back and take a 30,000 feet beat at the sum total of the questions on voting on police reforms, on guns, on abortion, and kind of get a sense of where the electorate is broadly and specifically on some of these issues.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so basically we gave people, you know, sets of batteries of loosely related questions that were pegged to specific elements and policies that were floating around in the legislature. A lot of them we you know, sort of handicapped from legislation that was out there, or you know, key, you know, debates that we know are going on, um, and then with some more, you know, specific standalone items that didn't work well, set in those in those more brief, more schematic policy idea batteries, and so we come away come away with, you know, we like to think is a fairly nuanced, you know, set of responses um, that you know, have worked out, I think, so far, more or less, in terms of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the ideas that are being floating around. Inevitably, you feel like you missed some things, etc. And, you know, we'll, maybe we'll, maybe at the end, we'll go what was on your wish list. But I mean, but, but, but that kind of, you know, gives you gives people a sense of what we're looking at. And again, all of these results are at our website at uh, texaspolitics.utexas.edu. When you go there, there's a latest poll, uh, section that will have graphics of all this. We also have a polling archive in which we'll have an entry for this April poll like we do for all of our other polls in which you can get a comprehensive tab file, also at, uh, access hundreds of graphics for, you know, all of these items, or you know, the vast majority of the items, and by particular subgroup, and can even access the data uh, and the data files and code books. So, where do I you want follow, to start?
1: I just want to follow up on one thing you said there, just to be specific about something. You know, you said, you know, the ideas that are floating around out there, and in fact, actually, that's not exactly what we do, right? I mean, it's one of the things that we actually do is we actually go and read the legislation that's moving through committees. Or yeah, I think I said
0: it. that we look at the bills. Yeah. No, you
1: didn't. You said the ideas are floating around, there. And I want to make clear we don't pull every okay every idea that's floating around out there. In fact, we specifically look at the bills to try to see what's hard is to figure out what bills matter, what's going to advance and what's going to die. I mean, ultimately you said, you know, what did we not ask? But, you know, we didn't ask about like what people think about transgender kids playing sports, a bill that just actually got voted down in the public education committee as of today, as I believe. So, I mean, you know, this is, this is what we do. So what do we, what do we, what do we find? Let's, let's get going. Yeah.
0: What do you, what interested you?
1: Well, I think we should start with just the open ended, what the legislature should be doing. We asked this question back in February. And at that point in time, um, you know, uh, COVID was still high on the list, you know, it's driven primarily by Democrats, you know, Republicans were starting to, to come back around to immigration and border security. And when I say come back around, all I, all I mean to say is that immigration and border security is always a big, big issue in Texas, always a big issue for Republicans during the Trump presidency. Because of you know, let's just say trust in the executive branch, probably, and the seriousness with which they're taking the issue, it sort of receded a little bit. And in terms of its importance, since the Biden administration is taking back over, and since all the attention that's been paid to the influx of unaccompanied children on the border, you know, the issue has really ramped back up in 2021. So you know, again, open-ended question: What should the legislature address? Top issue: Immigration or border security? 36% 36% of Texans, 61% of Republicans. And what I think was so interesting about this idea, we were talking about this earlier, was 61%, first of all, on an open ended question is kind of amazing. I mean, it shows, you know, just a homogeneity of attitudes. Just It's just apparent. We didn't ask, we didn't give them a choice. This is just what people said. When we ask, you know, when we look at the Democratic attitudes, it takes five different issues to get to 61%, and it's the five top Democratic issues. And, you know, essentially it kind of speaks to the differences in the party coalitions in some ways. You know, if you're a Republican, then you're doing your business on, uh, you know, immigration and border security, you pretty much can go and kind of pick and choose what else you want to work on. For Democrats, 22% want the legislature to deal with COVID, uh, 16% the energy, energy, the system and the grid, 13% gun control, 11% voting rights, 9% healthcare. And so the Democrats just have a, a bigger plate is the sort of, Although, you
0: know, what's interesting about that though, you know, is, I mean, as, as I was, I was talking to having a conversation with somebody else this morning for an interview, and, you know, it was David Brown on the, on the Texas standard, but he was making the point that, you know, we may made, you know, widely observed that, you know, that question keyed people up for the Texas legislature, which really doesn't have a lot to do in the realm of immigration and border security, just, just spend a ton of money, you know, fund the hell out of it and talk about it. And, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, of not a lot of action that you can really get into, you know, you know, making sure that that undocumented people don't get government services, you know, some kind of, you know, attention to the state side of enforcement. But even though, so, you know, and so it, it's an interesting posing of what we're seeing in the legislature right now, which is Republicans looking Republican legislators Looking for other things to please the base on because they can only do so much on immigration and border security. Now that's that's a, a hypothesis posing as an yeah, observation. I was gonna say. <laughs> but you know, as as we look at what we've been seeing going on in this session, you know, it's an interesting refraction of that result.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, that you know, I, I think we typically, you know, think, well, you know, the It's the Democrats that have this problem of their base and their constituents being scattered among all of these different interests and and priorities, which is true. But because Republicans can only do a limited amount about the top priority that virtually, you know, that a a huge share of their voters consistently have, Mm. you know, that may be part of the explanation for what sets them loose on the hunt, yeah. for what else they can provide in a public way to their constituents.
1: Yeah, I think, the, I think you know, we we're talking about, the, you know, we we're on another podcast we were recording uh, with the Texas Tribune earlier today, and, you know, and in our, in our collaborator, Darren Shaw, Professor Darren Shaw brought up, you know, the idea of issue publics, you know, which you can more right. or less just think of as issue voters, you know, the sort of people for whom, you know, who vote regularly, and there's an issue or, or two that really motivate their voting. And I, mean, I would sort of look at this, I, mean, I agree, I mean, this, maybe it's a, a slight, you know, difference here, which is, You know, for the Democratic coalition, it feels to me like all of these issues are important, and essentially they have to choose, you know, which one at a given time. I think, you know, gun control really jumped up in the most important problem given, you know, the mass shootings that occurred really in close proximity around when we were, uh, in the poll but it's always an issue for democratic voters whether it rises to the top or not you know whereas for right. republican issues and you know, for republicans in texas the consistency of immigration and border security to, to my mind actually provides more flexibility for members not necessarily to go looking for issues but for looking for issue publics to please and they exist in the republican party around guns in particular which we'll get to abortion is another one these sort of cultural issues and then really you know things having to do with like business and taxes and ultimately they can really do this almost in some ways under the radar, because as long as they're maintaining border security funding, wh- you know, you know, and it's waving their fists at the federal government at the same time, because we're having to spend this money. Well, you know, they are doing what they're supposed to do, you know, according to a large group of people, and then they can go kind of focus on, you know, the people who get real intense around Republican primaries on some of these other issues.
0: Well, and of course, the whole, you know, the you know we're we're talking a lot about public opinion and public constituencies here and of course the whole mass of of organized interests that populate the legislature every other oh, year oh them <laughs> that you know actually take up most of the time right right and 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 frankly from the perspective of the institutional you know int- you know the institutional interest groups it's a it's it's a headache or at least something of just a tactical consideration when these huge issues that aren't really about the trade groups of or the organized interests mm-hmm. or, you know, the, the material interest, you know, segments of, of the legislature in the lobby, it's kind of like, Hey, I, I mean, they trying to kill this. And so if they're going to spend all day on voting and I'm trying to like kill legislation, that's great. Right. If I'm trying to pass something and they're going to spend all day on abortion, uh, that's less good for me because it's kind of chop-chop. I got something I'm trying to get through here.
1: Yeah, and those things multiply, right? I mean, you know, as the session gets kind of, you know, as the session inevitably gets a bit nastier, you know, as we get near the end and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, partisan wins and losses, just the tension of the calendar, what have you. It seems yeah. like those things multiply. You know, yesterday's yeah. nasty fight makes tomorrow that much harder.
0: Right. And, and you know, you get, what you get is that, you know, you – you know, it's, it's the job of the leadership to manage an inevitable kind of fragmentation that starts happening, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's aggravated by the fact that one of the, one of the big cleavages that inevitably emerges and we're beginning to see it now, you know, break into slightly more, you know, semi-public view is the tension between the House and the Senate. So, right. All right so what else do we, so speaking of all these issues, so You know, one of the things that's gotten, one of the issues that's gotten national attention has been guns. So maybe we move into guns. Uh, Yeah. HB 1927 uh, is the uh, unlicensed carry bill. And in the move that surprised and and we hear irritated certainly some people, that measure made it to the floor fairly intact and then was passed to the House. And, and sent as a little gift to the Senate, which has created headaches for uh, Lieutenant Governor Pat- Patrick. So what, why don't you talk a little bit about the what we know about the public context, public opinion context of this, which is very different, and will bring us back to issue publics, I think, fairly right.
1: Good. So you know, generally, you know, on, on, a, on a more general question, only twenty percent of Texas voters in April wanted to make g- current gun control laws less strict. So 80% of Texas voters basically wanted them more strict, left alone, or just didn't have any opinion. So there, it's not like there's a clamoring to loosen up the gun laws here. And the truth is, this has kind of been the case basically since Texas passed open carry. There's a pretty big, you know, uh desire, especially among Republicans, to loosen gun laws in the state. Once they pass open carry, we saw that opinion shift and it hasn't really moved back at any point in time. So this is, you know, the broad context to the specific proposal, uh, you know, and how to talk about this. But I mean, ultimately, the thing to know is, you know, strong majorities of Texans support universal background checks for all gun purchases, as do strong majorities of Americans. That includes 92% of Democrats and 64% of Republicans. Constitutional carry, unlicensed carry, whatever you want to call it, is opposed by 59% of Texas voters, 34% in support. There's pretty much, you know, majority or overwhelming opposition amongst every group except for uh, a slight majority of Republicans, 56% support. Permitless carry, thirty nine percent oppose. The most sort of remarkable result in all of this is that is the gender gap in Republican support. So, while seventy percent of Republican men support uh, permitless carry, the plurality of Republican women, forty nine percent, oppose it, with forty three percent in support. And so, this is you know not a popular policy proposal. I mean, you know, you are talking about the whole. This is the job of leadership is to protect people from taking tough votes. I mean, this is kind of the,
0: a really good example of what we're talking about, right? Right. And yeah, I mean, just to decompose that, I mean, again, I mean, I don't, you know, there's a subtle point in here, I think, that can be lost, which is that we're not saying that, you know, look, it's only like a very small handful of Republicans that want this. It's still, you know, a pretty popular proposal among Republicans right now. It's become associated, I think, with You know, however you want to you want to frame it, the Republican brand, Republican identity, ideological foundations of of Republicans. But, you know, the other side of that is that there's not a consensus, particularly, as you say, when you compare the magnitude of opposition Mm -hmm. to this among Democrats. I mean, I think. Something like 90% of Democrats oppose this, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, 85% oppose. But I mean, the other point is, you know, but, you know, would you really want to stake too much on an issue that your, your voters are fifty-six thirty-nine support, oppose on?
0: Right. I mean, this is not something, you know, if you're, you know, to think about this from the, of the pragmatic view of a candidate or incumbent looking, you know, to run for office or to run for re-election – and you're looking for an issue that you think is a good general election issue this isn't one of them but, but if you're looking to run in a primary you know it's still not the best for a primary but you know what the, but you know what your position is going to have to be if you are going to run in a republican primary which is you're going to have to you know you're going to have to you're going to be inclined to toe the line on
1: this yeah i mean i have like a you know, you could apply this to a number of the issues that we kind of looked at in this poll, but, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have a lot of re- success as a Republican elected official going back to your primary voters and saying, I went to the legislature this year and I didn't, and I didn't, you know, make gun control laws here more strict. So you guys should re-elect right. me." I didn't, you know, I didn't loosen up, you know, I made sure that abortion laws didn't get any looser in Texas. It's like, well, you know, there's someone who wants to make them stricter.
0: Right. And so and yeah. they're
1: gonna, they're there to run in the primary.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. Context is everything in that because if you know, you know, all things being equal, you you could you could imagine a universe in which that would be sufficient.
1: <laughs> I can imagine. Right? It. <laughs> I mean, in other
0: words, if you look at the laws in Texas and you look at a state in which it's already pretty difficult to get an abortion, and a state in which you can open carry, you know, the barriers for license carry have been decreasing you know, it's, you know, saying, look, you know, this, you know, I'm proud of what Texas is and I, and I held the line. It's intuitively not a terrible position, but if you know that unless you know that the environment is what it is in Texas, that there are people for whom, you know, in those two issue examples are very important and it's not going to be good enough for them and they will go and they will make you look like it's not enough, make it look like it's not enough. Uh, in a in a primary election in which turnout is you know well less than half yeah, that's a minuscule you know mm. in a in a in a very homogeneous republican district which many of them are and you know they will be even more so after the next redistricting round um you know you set up a dynamic that push you know that this is the mechanism by which you know the system gets you know more more ideologically sorted within the parties mm-hmm yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the values of look, you know, that comes out of this. But when you're in the session of, you know, but when you're in the legislative session, uh, you know, it poses problems for, you know, managing these kinds of issues when they come up. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, another issue? Well,
1: let's just jump through abortion then, I guess, since we just yeah, touched let's on just it. Jump to let's abortion. just jump through abortion. Is that, is that what people do? Anyway. <laughs> So, you know, when it comes to abortion, we we tested uh, three of the proposals making their way through the legislature, outlawing, outlawing abortion after six weeks, allowing anyone in Texas the right to sue an abortion provider they perceive to be violating state law, and then banning abortion if the Supreme
0: Court overturns Roe v. Wade, which is sort of out there in the ether as a possibility. And, you know, it's, just- and it's been talked about for a long time, and again, something that was seen... I mean, you know, I I remember people being worried this might pass about 10 years ago, but, you know, the Mm -hmm. the so-called trigger bill.
1: Right. And so, you know, what we find with the results of these is kind of, you know, I would say what we generally tend to find with abortion attitudes and really no matter how we ask about them. And this is something to say, you know, we said it before about like nobody's following the legislature as an example. Abortion is not like that. Not that abortion people are following abortion policy, but people know what they think about abortion. It's not like all of a sudden like something's going to happen and someone's going to flip on their view on abortion. It really doesn't right. work that way. And there's a lot of reinforce. There's a lot of reasons for that. It reinforces itself across you know culture, party, religion. There's just a lot of other reasons. Anyway, the two sort of you know I would say. Uh, restrictions versus the banning, right? Outlawing abortion after six weeks, allowing someone to sue an abortion provider are basically controversial, but more popular than unpopular, but neither neither of them receive the, you know, support of a majority of voters. 49% of Texans would outlaw abortion after six weeks. 41% would not oppose that. 44% would allow anyone in Texas the right to sue an abortion provider, which I'll just put a parentheses here. I think is one of the craziest policy ideas I've ever heard. Thirty-seven uh, percent opposes. Yeah,
0: I'm wondering where Texans for lawsuit reform is on this. Yeah, I mean, wait, I'm listening. What do I hear? Oh, wait. You know what I hear? That those are crickets, Josh. Oh, okay. <laughs> those are those are crickets in the TLR building over the over this abortion bill.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, whatever whatever the whatever legal standing means, I don't know. Anyway, uh, but apparently neither do the lawyers in the legislature. So, and then the last one, you know. So those are again broadly. Acceptable to voters. Obviously, much more Republicans and Democrats. 74% of Republicans support the six-week ban, 66% support allowing anyone to uh, sue an abortion provider. But when it comes to the trigger bill, a majority of voters, 54% oppose it. Again, this is pretty common. You know, when we ask, you know, the quote unquote standard abortion question that you find in academic literature, just kind of get one question on abortion. The the position of banning abortion completely in all circumstances is really only selected by about 12 to 16 percent of Texas voters. It might you know and among Republicans it's usually about 18, 20 percent. So one in five give or take Texas Republicans are usually in support of completely banning the procedure and this is you know it's, it's like a lot of things where you know you start talking about little tweaks around the edges, potential restrictions, another hurdle or thing you know to jump to jump over. a lot of people say that's okay.
0: I think we should say comparatively what, what can be marketed as comparatively small tweaks? They are not. They are not. They are not experienced as tweaks by all. all
1: no, viewers, you're absolutely right, you're right. I should be more careful. But what can be described as you know, what, I mean, what I like to say, is yeah. what what people who
0: what watch, can be framed as is just call it what it is. I mean,
1: <laughs> well, I, no, I was going to say, I mean, the framing that I think is most often used that I hate is the one of well, this is common sense, which where common sense yeah. means you know whatever I think you should do is common sense. But generally, if a lot of people can see something as common sense, like for example, a good example of this would be like. Uh, parental notification requirements for minors. There's going to be a right. lot of Democrats who are going to say, "Yeah, I think you know, a minor who wants to get an abortion, you probably should get the parents involved, right?" Things like that generally are, are not, if not overwhelmingly popular, are more popular than not. Limiting, you know, removing access as opposed to limiting access or making it more difficult is another question entirely. And so, even though a majority of Republicans support this, it's 58% versus 29% who oppose it. it actually, looks kind of a lot like. <laughs> permitless carry in some ways, uh, almost, you know, a little bit, a little bit more opposition to permitless carry actually. Uh, but you know, large majorities of other groups opposing this. And, you know, again, I think this is kind of common. So the question becomes, is it worth
0: it? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think the experiments that we're seeing here with different you know, where, you know, it's kind of a search for the boundary on on, on mm-hmm. these proposals. You know, I mean, you were mentioning, you know, the slim number of people, you know, it's really in the teens that in the standard abortion question would sign off on banning abortion outright in all circumstances. You know, but if you look at then the trigger bill, you throw overturning Roe v. Wade into the mix. You know, I think of it almost as like a stimulus just to see, OK, so what can you do to support you know, I mean, this, you know, the support for that was at 34%. Mm-hmm. Right. So you pick up some independents. You don't really pick up very many Democrats. But that's, you know, that's an interesting piece in terms of like where, you know, and I think that's what we see in a lot of you see it with guns, you see it with abortion. We've talked about it before. You see it even to some degree with some of the policing stuff, not quite as clearly. But it's a matter of where can you find a spot where people will allow some slippage mhm you know, in, in what are otherwise seem like pretty set attitudes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, yeah. We see it in immigration, right. We see it in a lot, in a lot of areas of, you know, where we expect otherwise polarized results. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to come down to the end here. What else, what else do you want to give pride a place? I mean, you know, we did this in the Tribune podcast, but you know, you had to consider what everyone else was doing. You know, what else would you say from the, you know, within the realm of the legislative stuff you found really interesting?
1: You know, I think you know the questions we asked on Medicaid expansion were really interesting, and and I think partially because uh, maybe you know I had <laughs> I probably had internalized a view of the politics of this a little too much, and I you know I'm happy to admit when I'm wrong. And you look at this, and it was sort of a surprising result. So we asked two questions about it. First, we basically asked you know what we call salience question: you know, How much have you heard about basically you know Texas' decision not to expand Medicaid? eligibility to more people, explain what Medicaid is, who it serves. And this is kind of and what we found was kind of similar to the legislature. Only 10% of people said that they've heard a lot about this. And this does, is despite the fact that you know we've had a decades long plus discussion over Texas's large uninsured population, nation leading uninsured population about Texas's decision not to expand uh Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act despite again this it's you know large low socioeconomic status, low insure, uninsured population in the state. And you know, and I remember, I mean, I started here working with you about 10 years ago. And, you know, in the Rick Perry years, it was very common to sort of hear Medicaid talked about as, you know, a failed program, an unfunded mandate, something that would bankrupt the state if they if we let it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so you'd think, you know, that the idea of even talking about Medicaid was impossible. And yet when we asked then on the follow-up, Would you support expanding eligibility for Medicaid? A majority of Texans, 55%, would support it, 26% oppose it. The remaining, about 20%, don't know or don't have an opinion on it. But what was most surprising to me was that, you know, while 41% of Republicans oppose Medicaid expansion of plurality, 32% were supportive of it, which I think kind of goes against this notion, you know, in Texas in particular, that Medicaid is just untouchable dead on arrival. Yeah, yeah. Dead on arrival. And, and I mean, there are reasons why, I mean, honestly, you know, there are budget reasons why I think, you know, there's more, you know, there's more actual legitimate concern about Medicaid expansion in Texas than, you know, I think even proponents of it give credit for, but the idea that like this can't move because, you know, Republican opposition to it is overwhelming is kind of wrong. It looks like now, If a real debate started on this and both sides mobilized and started making, you know, the claims that they've made in the past about, you know, the pros and cons of this, I'm not sure that, you know, Republicans wouldn't polarize to the Republican position and Democrats likewise. But it's interesting, nonetheless, you know, after a year of COVID, in which, you know, the sort of the medical system in Texas has been put on full display for Texans, that there's, you know there's support here. And I'll add to this something I said to you, which was, you know, when we ask about universal, like a universal system versus the current yeah, I was just system, thinking about that. Yeah. you know, we also find slight majority support for the universal system. And so what's interesting about all that is just, I think, you know, there's certainly some, something under the surface here, if not at the top, you know, it may not even be under the surface, uh, about Texans dissatisfaction with the current options for healthcare.
0: You know? Yeah, I think that's right. And it, you know, I mean, it's, it's 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 it's. It strikes me as something. It's another one of those things that I use. You know, a meta. You know, a questionable metaphor, but nonetheless, I'll use it anyway. But it's one of those things where, you know, it's there. How deep are the roots cognitively? I'm not sure because it seems like, you know, you can you can touch you can you can detect that in the ways that you're talking about. Right. But it's also easily easily yanked out and. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, refactors where the metaphor breaks down. But, you know, it's easy to kind of overwhelm that with something else. So people are thinking, yeah, you know, I, you know, my God, this experience of healthcare is really not very good. I have had a lot of, I'm not happy with this. But then, you know, socialism, 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 Obamacare, Obamacare, Obamacare. And well, yeah, you know, I'd like it to be better, but I certainly don't want socialism. Right. 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 And so, you know, there's, it's just easy, it's, it's there, but I, I get the sense it's one of those things that's easily redirected, reframed. Um, you know, I think for me, it's thinking about this and then, you know, we can wind up pretty quickly, but I, you know, the police numbers I think were very interesting
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, given, you know, this is obviously so connected to other things that are going on that are important right now. Obviously the discussion of race, we've talked about, you know, how if you, You know, think about the police, you know, if you ask about the police in the context of the death of black uh, Americans in the custody of police, you get highly polarized responses, Um, you know, obviously sort of activated by the discussion of race in the context of policing. But I was struck by how much support there was otherwise in this poll for some of the police reforms that are on the table in the George Floyd Act. Including among Republicans, you know, banning, you know, we asked about banning chokeholds, you know, we asked about duty to intervene laws, and we found, you know, a lot of support, including substantial support among Republicans and conservatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which seems- was, I think, you know, to hear the debate, to hear, and we talked about this in the last podcast. We had to rehearse it, but the, you know, to hear the, you know, the the kind of Rhetoric suggesting that you owe absolutely unconditional support to the police and to grant them, you know, lati- you know, unlimited latitude is actually not a characterization of, of what's out there, a, a fair characterization of what's out there.
1: Yeah, I think the best way to link those things together, and I mean, I haven't really thought about it until earlier, earlier today, but, you know, as you said – you know, when asking about the deaths of, of Black Americans at the hands of police, eighty-two percent of Republicans say that they're isolated incidents, as opposed to eighty-seven percent of Democrats who see, see them as broader problems. But what's really, you know, consistent about this—and I say this almost like I almost want to say it's nice—but I mean, I said same public opinion. You don't consistency is not a requirement for people's attitudes, which trust is a me. good thing. Trust me. <laughs> but you know, the most popular proposal we tested was required an officer to intervene when another one is misusing force. Um, And I think, you know, if you, you know, whether you believe that, you know, these deaths are, you know, a a sign of systematic racism or they're isolated incidents, this is something that, you know, everyone should be able to get behind and they do. And I think that's nice. So what it shows you is that, you know, there is a sense that, you know, at least among Republicans that, you know, there is a a certain pocket who definitely doesn't want to place any sort of restrictions on police officers. But it's also coming from the belief that the, you know, that basically the vast, vast majority of police officers are doing well. And if you just give them a couple more rules, it'll take care of the bad
0: ones. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, obligate people to, if you will, police themselves. Um, (laughs) You know, it's I think yeah, it's it's interesting to pose that in terms of consistency Hmm. because you know it's not entirely consistent. Yeah, but it does help smooth off the rough edges of what might be, you know, a, a, a lack of fit between accumulating evidence and some pre-existing beliefs about this.
1: Can, can I add one more thing before we wrap up? I know yeah. we're running long. Ah, come on. Come on, boss, please. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. Go
1: you on. know, the other thing this poll, and it's one of the things, it's not just in this poll, but you can see it because of the, the number of polls we conduct both this year and over time. I mean, it's it's a lot. I think we've done over 40 surveys over the last 10 years of Texans' attitudes. But you know, the other thing that was really notable in this poll, and it's, relative, it's related to the legislative session, is, you know, Greg Abbott's net approval has declined from plus 24. So it was 56 approving, 32 disapproving. So plus 24 at the start of the pandemic last April to minus two in this poll. Uh, Among Republicans, it's dropped from plus 82 to plus 64. And among Democrats, it's gone from minus 35 to minus 76. Similar pattern with his uh, handling of COVID. I think the COVID is really what has, you know, driven down, you know, Greg Abbott could regularly, I think up until recently rely, not rely on, but count on, let's say the support of somewhere between, you know, 15 and 25, 30% of Democrats depending on what just happened moment we're in time, not necessarily to vote for him, but certainly to approve of the job he's doing. Some of them certainly did vote for him probably, you know, what's interesting now is that Greg Abbott is, looks like as polarizing of a politician as anybody. Um, you know, you've got 83% of Democrats disapproving of the job. He's doing 88% of Republicans approving. And so that's a pretty big shift. There's been a less of a shift among the other elected officials. Patrick saw a much smaller decline from plus four to minus four plus 60 among Republicans to plus 53 minus 55 among Democrats to minus 70. So he also saw has seen a little bit of a dip
0: through yeah, all he this. Had le- he had less far to fall. Well, he had I mean, less- Patrick, Patrick was not, you know, uh, anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I th- yes, he had less hard to fall. He's less well known. He's also not the face of the party and the pandemic response in the state. Yeah, and, but I'm, and I'm not sitting here, you know, I'm not passing judgment on Abbott's response either way, but I would think it's not surprising to see a governor who's been, in, you know, the lead figure in the state's response to a massive pandemic that's claimed 50,000 lives, uh, related economic fallout from all that, you know, it's not surprising to see him taking some hits at this point after a year of this.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, this is, this has been an ongoing trend, I think, for him. I mean, if you look at the trend lines, which you can see at our website, you can see this, you can see this happening pretty clearly in in the trend graphics that we've produced the re-
1: there. And the real shift among Democrats, I, and I, you know, I'm pre, I mean, again, we can never know for sure, just to be all sciencey for a second, we don't know anything for sure. But, but just to be sciency. But the real, I think the real shift comes after the the opening of the state, the removal of the mask mandates, and the opening of the businesses, which were extremely polarizing decisions between Democrats and Republicans. Yeah. And then after that, you see the Democratic evaluations
0: drop. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you see. It. There's a couple of little drop offs among Democrats. I think. Um, on that note, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks to Josh for being here. Thanks to our excellent technical staff in the Liberal Arts Development Studio in the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. Thanks to you for listening. Again, uh, we've rolled out all the support material and lots of elaboration of these results at our website, texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Look in the poll archive, look in the latest poll section, and check out the blog. We'll have more Uh, drill down into this in coming days and weeks. Thanks again for listening and we'll talk to you next week. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.